Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 7. Just a couple more weeks in this series in 1 Samuel that we've called The Search for a King. And uh, really today we come to what is somewhat a culmination of what we've been studying in some ways. Excited to uh, really get into this and think about what the Lord has for us today. I'm just very thankful for God's Word. What a blessing it is to be able to study it with you. Uh, I was amazed this week when the numbers came out. Uh, of course, you know, you, you know, if you follow football, that this, and even if you don't follow football, the Super Bowl is such an astounding event that regardless of who's playing, like I know this year our area had a little vested interest in it, but even if we wouldn't have, most of you that watched still would have been watching. It, it has so many eyeballs watching this event. This year, they say, was probably the highest rated ever. And that was about 113 million consecutive viewers of this event. Just for context, we had about 168 million votes in the election in 2020. So a massive segment of the population stopped down to watch that. And I know there are a few of you in here today who are like proud of the fact that you weren't part of that number. You want to raise your hand just to have a little moment here. All right, got one right here. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I know there's some of those is like, was there some sort of game last night or something on Facebook? Like, okay, I got you, bro. Thank you for being that person. Uh, there's always got to be one. Uh, so, so if you were that guy, that's awesome. Uh, you know, but so many people watched and, and people watched for a lot of different reasons. Obviously here we again had some vested interest, but some people love football and have been watching all year. And that was the final culmination of an epic season. There are a ton of you, probably even in this room, who maybe watched that game who had not watched a single snap of football all year until that point, right? There are some people who are into the commercials, right? There's commercial guy or gal, and the commercials are, are awesome. People enjoyed watching that. We watched it up here, and we just muted it and turned it off for most of those because uh, we weren't really interested in that. And then, of course, you know, there's always the food at the Super Bowl party. That was, man... I just got to tell you, uh, just I'm still recovering from it, but it was glorious. So we had a great time up here with the students. But one thing that captured the attention of a lot of people during the Super Bowl were these commercials that were put out by a Christian organization, and it was the He Gets Us commercials. Now, uh, there were three or four different spots, and, and some of you have seen those throughout the year. Like, this wasn't the first time you came across those. And, and today, I don't really want to give you an exposition uh, about all of those commercials. Some of those really, like, impacted me in a, in a good way. Some of them made me go, huh. And so they weren't all my flavor, all right? Maybe you loved all of them and you've already bought season one on DVD. That's fine. Do they do that for commercials? Maybe they will. Uh, but, but you may have been into that. But what struck me is I kind of investigated uh, this ad campaign and the source behind it was that it, uh, it's put together by a Christian organization that paid an advertising company in the Chicago area that specializes in brand recognition and even in some ways brand rehabilitation, and the idea behind this is that Jesus has gotten such a bad rap from churches and Christians and his people that we need some help to kind of present Jesus in a way that is more palatable to the masses. So what you're seeing when you see those ads, just so you know, is what, and I'll probably be honest, very likely secular and unsaved advertising people, like so the mad men, just think mad men of 2023, got together in a room and said, what can we do to get this Jesus guy acceptable to a larger group of people? 
Now, what's interesting to me about that is that this really fits in with a broader look at what our culture is doing today when it comes to who Jesus is. Now, to be sure, church, we as the church in the West, and even some of us as individuals, all of us, I would say, at times, have probably done and said things things that have harmed our witness for Christ and that has hurt the reputation of Christ in our world. So I'm not saying there is no rehab to be done for the world's image of Christ, but what I am saying is this. I think we start playing a dangerous game when we work in some way to try to make Jesus and his gospel acceptable to the broader world. And what you need to know, again, I'm not really skewering these ads. That's not what this is about. This is a much broader and bigger problem. In fact, there are big-time evangelical preachers, and I don't mind naming a name because you can look up this interview yourself. Uh, Joel Osteen, right, Uh, literally said in an interview, like, people are tired of talking about repentance and sin. They don't want to talk about those things. They want to talk about the good news and the positive things that God has to say. So there's been this move in Christianity whether people will come out, and I know some of you are just like, Joel, I can't believe that. And listen, not a big fan, all right? I don't mind telling you that. But I also will just say at least I respect that he's going to say it. I think there's a lot of pastors, even right here in our city, who have that same idea, but they're not going to be gutsy enough to come out and just say that that's what they're doing. But if you listen to six or seven of their sermons, you're not going to hear those things. At least Joel's, you know, bold enough to tell Larry King that's what's up. So what I'm trying to say this morning is that the issue of repentance is not a popular issue. I stand before you today with a challenging message today that's challenging in the sense that I know our flesh does not want to hear what the Word of God has to say about repentance. Why is repentance tough for us? Because repentance insinuates that you or I could be and or have done something wrong before. Gasp! Right? But but listen... Just wait until if the Lord brings something to mind and I mention a sin you're dealing with. Oh, we like talking about other people's sins. Y'all were really hoping I'd get on those he gets us people, weren't you? Get them, pastor! But then when I start talking about our sin, it's like, whoa, hang on. I didn't sign up for this. So here's what I want to tell you. Right now, if you're already concerned, I'm not going to judge you you can just slip out and go listen to Joel, okay? I don't know what time his service is broadcast, but I'm just going to give you, when I pray after I read the text, just quietly slip out. You can make that happen, all right? But but can I tell you, church, I love you too much to not talk about repentance. And, And what you have to see is that we can't really understand the good news of the gospel without recognizing that we have a need for the gospel. If you don't know you need the gospel, You can't truly respond to the gospel. Oh, but brothers and sisters, the the bad news, if you want to call it that, is that you and I are sinners. But the good news is that Jesus came to get us out of our sin. Jesus doesn't just understand our, our sin and understand our struggles. Jesus came to save us from our sins and our struggles. And brothers and sisters, this is a powerful word that God's going to have from his word today. And I believe it has the potential to change your life, even though it is radically simple.
So we come to an unpopular idea and an unpopular concept, yet I'm praying that the Lord would use this in a mighty way. So let's read just two verses today. Some of you have gotten used to hearing my silky smooth voice read you an entire chapter. Today you only get two verses. It's okay, we're going to come out with the rusty audio Bible. <laughs> That's going to be a mess. <laughs> I'm going to do just like I do in here, like, whew, glad I made it through that one. <laughs> it's going to be right there in the recording. So, All right, verse 3 of chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. Let's read these two verses and then ask the Lord for his help today. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they serve the Lord only. Friends, I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open because uh, we will be looking at some other verses as we go. But let's pray right now. Lord, we do come to... Again, what, what we've already acknowledged is a difficult thing for us to consider and think about today. Yet, Lord, I, I believe you want to use this time, this moment, to do a work in this place. God, I, I believe you want to transform hearts. You want to transform families. You want to transform this church. Oh, so Father, I pray that you would do what only you could do. Let's convict us, encourage us, speak to us. Oh, Holy Spirit that indwells each and every believer in this room, would you do work in a mighty way? Don't let us ignore your glory. Don't let us ignore what it is you're wanting to do in our lives. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing I would note to you is that if you look up at verse 2, you'll see that this isn't just, uh, you know, previously in 1 Samuel. Twenty years have elapsed since the ark has returned to Israel. The glory of the Lord has returned. So certainly you would think if, you know, remember I said this last week, that, that you might be wondering like, man, if a couple cows drug in the presence of the Lord right now, I'd get saved and get baptized. That's what I said last week, and I think you resonated with that. You're like, yes, I'd love to see God's glory manifested in that kind of way. Then certainly change would happen. It didn't happen that way for the people of Israel. They looked up, they rejoiced, but then they worshipped in a way that didn't honor the Lord. That plague came in, God's judgment. So then finally they're like, instead of dealing with the glory of God, they're like, put it in a barn somewhere, get it out of here, and let's just try to live our lives quietly and ignore God's presence. 20 years has passed. Isn't that wild? 20 years is not a short amount of time, friends. Two decades. The glory of the Lord had come. God graciously revealed himself, yet the people of God didn't respond. That's sobering to me. That we could have a God that's revealing himself and showing himself and working, yet we as the people of God not acknowledge his work and not respond to his work at all. 
But now the text we read is the moment where God is really bringing together what started all the way back in chapter 1. Do you remember God raised up a new prophet? This was an evil people that had a ton of, was being led by evil priests that were being antagonized by an evil nation. And all of this evil was happening. It was a godless culture that called themselves the people of God. And yet the Lord has been doing work quietly behind the scenes. A baby is born to a barren woman, and then he's serving at the temple. Then God calls this young man to be a prophet, and Samuel comes onto the scene. But, but again, revival didn't happen then. In fact, this is several years later. In fact, probably decades later. We had this whole saga of God's people encountering judgment because they had not turned. And then we have God, even in the midst of this judgment, revealing himself in incredible ways. The glory of God has returned to Israel, yet here we are still in this similar spot, in this similar situation with the people of God not fully worshiping him and turning to him with everything they have. Yet God in his grace is still pursuing them. Oh, friends, some of you maybe think that you've gone too far. You think, surely this last sin I've committed was it. Surely this last time that, that I wandered off from the Lord, surely God's done now. Oh, but friends, we have a God who lovingly pursues us in His grace. And you may have got drug into this place today, but can I tell you that even if you came here and you didn't want to be here, the Lord knew that you would be here for this moment where you could hear, it's not too late so Samuel is gathering the people of God together this is the moment where we're going to see this beautiful picture of repentance repentance now as we think about repentance perhaps it would be helpful to simply define it and I want to just define it in this way. You've heard me talk about repentance in this way, that it simply means to turn. I'm going one direction, and to repent is to completely stop going this direction and turn and go this direction. The Greek word for repent literally has the sense of reorienting yourself, meaning that there's a whole new way that I look at the world now because of this moment that I've had of repentance Repentance is to have this moment where we totally change. We reorient our lives around this decision that we're making. Now, this happens in a couple different ways in our life. First, for salvation, right? We repent and believe. That's the call to be saved, is to repent of our sin and to believe that Jesus is the Savior who died on the cross for our sins to give us new life. And to repent is to say, I've been living my life for me, but I have encountered the love of Jesus. I've seen his glory, so I'm going to turn from my old life. My way of life is now all about Jesus and what he has for me. Oh, friends, if you're here today and you've never heard the gospel, you've never known that you are a sinner who is going your own direction, that is why you keep feeling like you are running into the wall over and over and over again, and you feel lost. It's because you are. But the invitation of Christ, he knew again that you would be here in this place today to hear that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that rather than being under the wrath of God, you and I could turn and walk with Him in His joy and His delight in right relationship with the Lord. This salvation can be yours today if you repent and believe. 
But repentance also comes to the house of the Lord, doesn't it? So what if you've already made that decision? You say, well, Rusty, I repented and believed years ago. We're raising money for camp. Maybe it was at camp when you were a teenager or a child. Maybe it was at a revival service. Maybe it was just in a church service on a Sunday morning. Maybe it was at home and your mom and dad led you to Christ and you repented and believed and you know that. You know that you're saved, yet we also need to acknowledge that repentance happens in the Christian life. So to repent and believe for salvation is really repentance is that work of accepting Christ, isn't it? Because listen, you need to hear me say this, repentance is not a work that adds to our salvation. This is a real thing people have talked about quite a bit. People have said, well, well wait a second, if you're saved by grace through faith, repentance sounds like a work. This has been a theological quandary for centuries, by the way. But do you know what repentance is? Repentance is the moment of accepting Christ. That is when we repent. We turn from our old way of life and we recognize Christ. And when we accept him, that is that moment of repentance. But once you're already saved, you don't need to get saved again. But can I tell you that as you're growing in Christ, there are going to be moments of repentance that are not about accepting Christ, but they're about accepting the correction of Christ. Those are pretty painful. Because here's what we do in our good little Christian culture even when we know we're going the wrong way again we like walk backwards hey everybody how's it going everything's normal nothing weird about me right we fake it till we make it we act like everything's okay so when somebody calls you out in your sin and goes you're walking funny who are you to judge the way i walk right it's challenging for us to be faced with our sin when we're believers Yet the Lord in his grace loves us too much to let us settle for empty religion. He calls us to repent. So there's repentance for salvation, but there's also repentance in the Christian life. So what does this repentance look like on a practical level? Well, we see this here in the text. In verse 3, we're introduced to a big if. It's a big if. It says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. And then it says a couple lines later, direct your heart to the Lord. Return to the Lord with your whole heart, with everything. Everything. This is radical language. And again, I think in the Christian world, we use this kind of language so much that you don't really think about whole heart meaning being significant. But this says, with everything that you are, direct all of you, all of your life, all of your focus, all of your passion, all of everything, direct that to the Lord. He said, if you're repenting, if you are ready to turn everything to the Lord, with all your heart. This radical language is meant to grab our attention today, and I pray that it is, with the Spirit's help, getting your heart already thinking about, am I loving Him with everything? You see, because the people of Israel were really a people of half-hearted worship. I mean, we've read for seven chapters now. The temple was still functioning. They were still open for business, right? People were coming and making sacrifices. They're coming up every year. It's a part of their lives. It's a part of the rhythm of the community. Worship was still a thing. Yet what had happened is slowly over time, this became what I would just call half-hearted worship. It was just simply going through the motions. 
going and making our sacrifices, checking off the list, doing the things we needed to do, and then going back to our fields and doing our work our own way. Oh, the glory of God came? That's neat. We've got wheat to harvest. This is what it looked like. This half-hearted worship, though, we've read for two months now the results of half-hearted worship. Half-hearted worship creates a spiritually impotent culture. Half-hearted worship creates a, a world that maybe looks good, seems good. As we've referenced multiple times in 2 Timothy 3, it says, you have the appearance of godliness, but you lack the power thereof. It looks good, seems good, feels good. You can even create some good emotional moments, but there's nothing there. There's no real transformation. There's no life change. There's no salvation. There's no people coming to Christ. There's no evangelism. There's no real discipleship. Things look good, feel good, seem good, but they're not good. And church, we do ourselves a disservice when we act like it's all good when it's not. I was reminded of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I think I brought them on the screen for you. Do we have those? Yeah. So search me, O God, and know my heart. And that's a wild invitation, isn't it? Lord, God of all creation, search my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Is anybody ready to pray that prayer this morning? Ooh, I don't know that I'm ready, guys. I praise the Lord if you really are. Some of you are like, let's go. Ooh, but I'm a little afraid of what I'm going to find. What he's going to find. I mean, I can find some stuff, and that's just me. What's the Lord going to find? I'm convinced today that half-hearted worship is the biggest roadblock to revival in our culture. We're, we're a people of half-hearted worship. We just want to live a good life, be good people, doing good things, sprinkle in a little Jesus in now and then, do our nod to God when it's appropriate, post a Bible verse occasionally on social media, and move on with our lives. Oh, but friends, as I said last week, the enemy is more than happy to let us be half-hearted Christians. People just really want America to be a Christian nation again. Oh, I wish it was like it was 50, 60 years ago. You know, because back then, everybody loved Jesus. I mean, I wasn't here, but come on, guys. I have a history book. How'd that work itself out? Yeah, our, our, our nation maybe at one time looked more Christian than it was. But can I tell you, if it was filled with Christians like we have in our culture today, half-hearted worship, the enemy sometimes will just let us thrive in that. Oh yeah, give them more. And it looks good and feels good and seems good. But there's no real life change happening. Let me just ask you a hard question today. Is Jesus more important than your spouse to you? Is Jesus more important than your children to you? 
Is Jesus more important than your health? Is he more important than your security? Is he more important than your finances? Like, listen, I know I just went for the juggler on the first couple, right? If I started with finances, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, he's way more. But I went straight to spouse, and some of you are like, whew. Have, have you read what Jesus said? If you don't hate your father and mother, you have no part of me. Ooh. We don't like preaching that. They didn't air that one on the Super Bowl. <laughs> Jesus hated his parents too. <laughs> he gets us, right? <laughs> it's like, whoa. Moms and dads are like, I told you, turn off those commercials, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry. But when we really wrestle with these things, we, we sing songs like, Give Me Jesus. Such a great song. Simple song, isn't it? But it says, You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. But it's harder to sing that when the world's getting taken away from you. So is Jesus really the most important thing in your life? Can I tell you, friends, if he is, the, the, the great news is that God will transform these other parts of your life. Like, if Jesus is the most important, then your marriage is going to look different. Your kids are going to look different. All these things are going to be different because of Jesus being the most important thing. But this is the invitation to follow Christ. It's not an invitation to try to be a good dude. It's not an invitation to try to be good and moral and, and you know, salt of the earth people. No, but it's to be the salt and light of Christ in our culture. To have a real relationship with a real and living God that radically changes the culture around us. Friends, how do we live in a Christian nation that has thousands upon thousands, perhaps even millions of people who claim to know Christ, yet we allow abortion to continue? How do we live in a nation where we claim to love Jesus with everything we are, yet we look like most of the world around us? This is a big if, isn't it? Half-hearted worship is not worship at all. That's really what I need to say to you. Half-hearted worship of the Lord is not really worship at all, but not only does repentance mean giving the Lord our whole heart, but it also means that we have to get rid of idols. And we've talked about these idols. You know, last week we said, well, you don't have an idol propped up at your house, but we have idols of some of those things I mentioned already, financial security, family, even church and ministry, all these things that can become idols when we put them on the pedestal of our lives instead of King Jesus. But, but here's what I want to say today, and I'm just praying that the Lord would use this to expose perhaps what I think may be one of the biggest idols in our culture today, and that would just be the idol of American culture. And we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the text next week. But when you read over these past couple months, you've seen with me how Israel was shaped by their culture more than they were shaped by the Lord. And what I want to say to you is just honestly, I think we are too. I think we look more like the world than we look like the Lord. Most of our lives probably look more distinctly American than they look distinctly Christian. Is anybody else concerned by that? 
imagine if that could have been said of the Romans. They look like Romans and not Christians. No, instead, the letters to the New Testament are calling them to be different and to look different. And what we'll discover is that our culture is absolutely okay with and even celebrates what I would call worldly Christians. Our world is okay with the worldly Christian. In fact, you will, your stock will go up in our world. People are like, if you claim Christ, the world's going to hate you. Not in this American Christianity we've created. The world's going to celebrate you, and you're good, especially if you're nice and if you're kind and if you never confront anything or call anything sin. You, you will be on the fast track to celebrity. But can I tell you what happens? That world will turn on you quick when you start looking different than them. I mean, even just your friend group. Your friend group is okay with you loving Jesus and knowing Jesus if you're participating in the same sins they are. Some of you are here, and I'm so thankful you're here, but you were out late drinking last night, and you drug yourself. To... The only difference between you is that you're trying to get over your hangover here in church. Sorry, I'm loud. And they're at the house watching TV. And you're not rubbing up against the world in a way that concerns anybody else. And the world will celebrate you and they'll say, hey, they're a good dude. That's a good girl right there. Hey, man, that, that family's awesome. They're in church. They're committed. I just can't do that. They're better than me. And there's part of our flesh that kind of likes that. Yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. Right? Pat ourselves on the back and feel like we're doing something good. All the while, we're not being transformed and our friends are lost and going to hell and we're not doing anything about it. Oh, friends, I wonder today what our lives would look like if we stopped participating in all the things that the world participates in. What would our lives look like if, if we weren't using social media like the rest of the world? What would it look like if we didn't watch the same shows and spend our money on the same things and dress and talk the same way as the world? What would our lives look like to look distinctly Christian in this culture? If the only difference between you and your neighbors who are unsaved today is that you're in church and they're not, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, friends. The Lord wants all that we are. Real repentance means putting it all on the table and saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to get rid of? That's a scary prayer. Lord, expose my idols. Because what if your idols are the things that you love and the things that you're holding on to today? I'm so concerned that most of us in the world are half-hearted Christians. And I would even say probably the majority of us in this room and in our church and in our city are half-hearted Christians. Just sprinkle a little Jesus in their lives and move on. I think many are not even really saved. They think they know Jesus because they've sat in church and they've done all the things, but there's no evidence of a real relationship with Christ in their lives. Oh, friends, if you've given your heart to American Christianity and not Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. But the call today is to repent and believe. 
But many of you once burned bright. Like some of you, as I'm talking about this, you're like, the Lord is just exposing it. Yeah, I, I used to be passionate about the things of God. There was a time in my life when, when I was on fire for the Lord and I believed in a different way and I was excited about Him and I walked with Him on a daily basis. Yet here I am and something has happened. Oh, I'm so thankful for those of you who are feeling that today. Oh, but I'm burdened for those who maybe are not feeling anything. Some of you are so unmoved by this, you would have been more grieved had the game gone differently last week than you are grieved now at the reality of your half-hearted worship. What does that say about us? Some of you are more grieved at the state of our nation politically than you are grieved about the spiritual state of your own heart and the people around you in our nation. What does that say about us? Remember when you loved the Lord? Remember when you first came to know Christ? Remember what it felt like to read your Bible and hear the voice of God moving? I want to talk for a minute about remembrance. Because there's a cool thing that happens in this passage. God's people repent. They were ready. They were broken. It took 20, 30 years. In fact, beyond that, took decades and decades, but God's people were ready, so they repent. They come back and they're like, I need this, Lord. And they come, and as they repent, verses 5 through 11 show how Samuel gathered them together, led them in sacrifices and offerings. They return to the Lord. They start following his way. They ask him what he wants to do, and the Lord gathers his people. The Philistines come to try to attack them while they're all gathered together. And it doesn't end well for the Philistines. God leads them to defeat their enemies. And Samuel does something incredible in chapter 7. In verse 12, he takes a stone and he sets it up there in Mizpah and he called it Ebenezer. I love this. We've talked at length before about masabas. Well, they would take a stack of stones and put them there to remember something the Lord had done. This is a masaba of sorts, but this isn't a stack of stones. This was one large stone that they were able to find and stand up in a unique way, perhaps on its side. We don't really know for sure, but it was uniquely placed in such a way that when they would see it, they would remember what God had done. And this name, Ebenezer, simply means stone of help. We sang this song this morning. Some of you are like, oh yes, thank you for singing that great hymn of the faith. And you didn't have a dadgum idea what Ebenezer was until right now. Yeah, I got some of y'all. That's always been my favorite. Why don't we sing those old songs that have deep theological meaning? You didn't even know what it meant. You're just like, here I sing my favorite melody. It sounds more like a hymn. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Come on. All right, well, Pastor Rick would love to hear your feedback on that, so email him uh, if you have concerns about that. But I tell you, I hope next time you sing that song, it'll have a different meaning for you. Like, I'm setting up this moment, Lord, because I know you've been faithful, I know you've helped me, and I know you're going to help me again. The only reason I'm here, I love what the song says, hither by thy help I've come. The only reason I'm here is because of your help, Lord. So your Ebenezer may not be a big rock that you keep somewhere. But can I tell you, I think we all have Ebenezer moments in our lives. 
Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's places. Sometimes it's moments in our lives that have happened that we can look back and say, God has helped me. Oh, and when we see those moments, friends, the, the call is to run to the source of your help. Do you remember when you loved the Lord? Did you remember when you were passionate about Him? So, so what do you got to do to get back there? Pastor, give us a big list. What, what do you need me to do? Do you need me to read my Bible more? Do you need me to serve more? Do you need me to do it? No, run to the source of your help. Remember the help that the Lord has given. Run to Him. This is what repentance is. This is what this correction looks like. Running from where you're at to the Lord. And the wild thing that happens when repentance really becomes a part of who we are, when we remember the source of our help and we run to Him, then we're at a place where we can truly start to experience revival. And it's interesting is that we think about revival. I'm preaching so much, I'm getting my mouth dry here. Sorry. Sandy's in the splash zone, sorry. You know, I, I try not to get on social media a whole lot. I had to travel to Texas this week, and I got back Friday night and hopped on to social media. And when I got on there, I realized that two of the things that I would planned on talking about in my sermon are apparently pretty hot topics out in the world. <laughs> so uh, you're welcome for hot takes on He Gets Us and the Asbury Revival. But here we go. So some of you are aware of the revival happening at Asbury University in Kentucky. By the way, it's really multiple college campuses of all different denominations right now. The Lord is doing a unique thing uh, in the world today and in our country, and we should be thankful for those things. Yes, it's okay to look at some of it and say, what is that? I don't know that I, not all, we're not going to agree with everything. Some of you don't even agree with 80% of what I've said in this sermon right now. It's just how it goes, Okay. But, but God is moving in a unique way, and there's no way that, that we can ignore that reality. But here's what I want to say to you today, friends. You don't have to load up and go to Kentucky to experience revival. And some of my good friends have, and I'm thankful that they got to go and experience what God was doing. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do. But can I tell you how you experience revival? Repent. <laughs> Turn to the Lord. Like, like say, I'm done living the way that I'm living, and, and I want to follow him with my whole heart. And can I tell you what that will do, friends? That will be a revival in your life. That'll change your family. That'll change this church. And, and then this church can change this city and this region. This is how God works when God's people get serious about being the people of God. When they say, I'm done playing church, I'm done with half-hearted worship, I'm done with empty religion, uh, you, I'm tired of just being called God's people like the people of Israel, we want to be God's people following His direction, His leadership, everything He wants. This is what I want my life to be about. And friends, when we do that, your life is going to look radically different than it does now. And it's a little bit scary for some of you, because what may the Lord ask you to do? <laughs> What's the Lord going to ask me to give up? What's the Lord going to ask me to change? What's my life? I don't know, friends. I don't have the answers for you. But I do know this. His plan is better than what we're doing now. And God wants to move in our lives in unique ways. And until we just, Steve's back there. What do we say, Steve? Get out of the way. That's Steve's line. Get out of the way. 
Repent, turn from your way and say, Lord, whatever it is you want from me, I'm in. Everything in my life is on the table. You have a blank check in my life, Lord. Whatever you want, wherever you want, whatever you want it to look like, I'm in. And friends, if we as the people of God got serious and started doing that, what could God do? What could he do? So I've been praying over the last several days that this might be an Ebenezer moment in your life, in your family's life, in our church family's life. That the Lord could use even a simple moment like this, a simple text like this, to bring us to a place of repentance. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I just want to pray for us, and then I want to give us some time to respond today. I know that we're not, uh, it's just safe to say, we're not an outwardly responsive church. That's fair. And I don't want to manufacture a response today, but I want to just encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is moving in you and you feel this call to repentance, I want to just invite you when we have just a simple time, Rick's going to come and lead us simply in worship, that you may want to just come up to this altar, these steps, the stage, you can even kneel up here, stand up here up front and just take some time to do business with the Lord sometimes that physically walking of just saying to accompany what's happening in your spirit to just walk up here and say Lord I'm leaving my old stuff here I'm going to repent I'm going to turn I'm going to go in the way you want me to go if the Lord is moving you to do that I want to encourage you to do that and don't be scared don't be waiting on others don't be like that, that we're not about that life here guys but we're about the way, the truth, and the life and what he wants to do in our hearts. So I want to encourage you to respond as the Lord leads you. I'm going to be down here praying. I'll, I'll make myself available over here as I'm praying. So if you need someone to pray with, I'd be glad to pray with you. If you don't know Christ today, oh, this repenting and believing is going to change your life. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. Oh Lord, would you move in this place? Here we raise our Ebenezer. Hither by your help we've come to this moment. Oh Lord, may we walk with you. May you change us so that you can use us.